So I want you to think this morning about a time where you've been on a trip, and as you've been driving somewhere, there came a point where there was a big turn that you could take and accidentally go the wrong way, or maybe you missed, and then it led you down the wrong direction. And maybe when you think back to a time, maybe there was a point where you knew you were at an intersection, you're like, all right, which way do we go? Do we go to the right? Do we go to the left? Do we go straight? And maybe you had that clear moment where you knew that this was significant. But if you're like me, often when you end up going the wrong direction is actually when you just don't even realize that you, like, you've been going. You're like, man, I feel like we should have turned by now. And you realize that you just totally blew past it, and then you're going the wrong direction. Or maybe you thought you went the right way, and then you went the wrong direction. I remember when I was, so when I was in seminary, I was, many of you know, I was a wedding DJ. And I worked with a company that did full-on like videography during the ceremony and everything. So I was going with a crew of guys for my first, my first gig. And we took a left at an intersection in southwestern Minnesota, apparently, instead of a right. And in southwestern Minnesota, it's just flat and everything looks the same. And as you're driving to, like, there's no, like, sometimes, you know, it'll say, like, highway and then it'll say north or south. We went two hours the wrong direction. And we were, start, we're getting down there like, man, we should be there soon, right? And then we start seeing signs for Iowa. We're like, oh, no. <laughs> Iowa is not where we want to be <laughs> for many reasons. Um, <laughs> so we went back the, the other direction, got to the wedding as quickly as possible. And I will never forget the anger in the bride's face when we showed up two hours late. Um, but it all, it all worked out, you know. So maybe you can think of a time like that. We went the wrong direction. And it was driving, and maybe it was frustrating at the moment. But here you are. Here you are. But, you know, there's also moments like that in life where you're at a, a, a turning point where, all right, I need to make a choice. Like, do I go this direction? Is this going to be good for me, or is this going to be bad for me? Or maybe there's a turning point you're not even aware of that is significant, where if you keep going in a good direction, it can be good. Or maybe if you veer off, or maybe there's a direction you're supposed to turn to, that would be good for your life, but you don't, you just keep going and then you end up going to Iowa for goodness sakes, you know, or something <laughs> more destructive than, than even Iowa. And in, for any of you who don't know, I can pick on Iowa because I grew up there. It's part, of why I, it's part of why I can say that. This whole series that we're going to be going through, starting today, going on through November, will be all about moments like this. Our series is called Turning Points. And we're going to look at various sections of scripture where you see these, these moments where you can go in a way that is good, a way that is stepping in faith and walking with God, or you can go in a way that is destructive to you and to the people around you. And as we look at these different moments, we're going to learn some about our God, obviously, but then also about how God guides us in this life and how we can walk with him and embrace the life with him that he's given us. This series is a series that we're going through during this Trinity season. And again, the Trinity season, as I mentioned before the service, is a season where you can dive into various characteristics of God. Like sometimes people will really dive into the fact that we have this, this teaching about God that is amazingly beyond our understanding, that we have one God who is three distinct persons. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you have three distinct persons, yet they're all united as one God. How does that work? You, we, we just can't wrap our heads around. So you can spend time this, this season digging into that. Um, but also there's freedom to dig into other things. And this season, we're really going to dig into how we, how we interact with this God, how we walk with this God in this life, and, and especially when we get to these turning point moments. 
So to get us started down this path throughout this season, we're going to ask the question today, on the, the journey of your life, on the drive that you're on, who's, who's driving? The lesson we have is Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 7. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master over it. Now, our lesson takes us to the early, you know, the early time period of the world. So not too long after God created everything, he created the first people, Adam and Eve, and everything at this point is, it's good. Adam and Eve were, initially it was good, I should say, when God created. God created Adam and Eve to be the beginning of humanity, and he created people with this incredible privilege of being able to live in a way that is a reflection of his character, to live in a way that is sinless, that is completely good and healthy and beneficial. That's what the, the image of God is all about, being able to, to live in a way that looks like God. And part of God giving them that opportunity was that they also had the opportunity to trust God in this life. And so part of that opportunity then included that God put in the garden not only all the, the, the trees that are just good for eating and not only a tree that's called the tree of life where they could, could trust God to give them life, but there was this, also this tree there called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And something, and I think in the message that, I think Pastor Kay got into this a little bit too when he was sharing, talking about this here a couple of weeks ago is, is one of the interesting things that happens at that tree, and this is the tree that God told them not to eat from, is that when the enemy comes and talks to Eve about eating from that tree, tempts her to, what Eve sees on that tree is not anything that looks actually bad. She looks at the tree and she sees something that's good for food. Well, that's good. Pleasing to the eye. That's good. Desirable for gaining wisdom. Wisdom is good. God loves to give people wisdom. He created Adam and Eve not with a perfect knowledge of everything yet, they were sinless, they were pure, but they had all this potential to grow and to learn. So seeing wisdom on the tree looks like a great thing, but it's not the way God intended for them to get it. They were to receive it from him, but instead Eve reached out and grabbed it for herself and tried to take it herself. Adam then went along with Eve and did the same thing and took this for himself, and that's what broke the world. Instead of trusting God, and his definition of good and trusting God to give you wisdom, humanity seized it and did it our own way. And that broke the world. Adam and Eve, they start pointing fingers at each other. There's blame. There's hiding from God. God talked about how there'd be pain and how childbirth and suffering. And for Adam, there'd be pain in his work and his life. And they are now exiled from the Garden of Eden. And so they, they can no longer access the tree that would give them life that would go on forward. Now there would be suffering and there would be death in this world. And it's at this point, after this transi transition has happened, that Adam and Eve do, though, start to grow humanity. They have a family, and we're told specifically about two 
sons. And I say specifically about, because Adam and Eve had other children too, in order for the world to grow and, and go on from there. But we're told specifically at this point about two boys. One of them named Cain, the other one named Abel. And as they grow beyond this baby toddler phase here, they get to a point where they start really taking hold of how they are to interact with God. And it, it's here at that point that we're going to get to our lesson that helps us ask who's driving. Because we're told that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So you have these two brothers, and you have Cain, who is more of a crop farmer, apparently, brings produce to the Lord. It's a good thing, right? Brings an offering. But then Abel brings from animals that he raises to the Lord, and we're told that the Lord favors Abel. And the first question that often pops to our mind is why? Why does God favor one or the other? They're both bringing offerings. Well, the lesson does not say this is exactly why, but there are some details that really kind of give us insight to what's going on. Because when, Cain, when Abel's is described, it adds the details that Abel brought, first of all, from the fat portions of his animals, which means these are the best. These are good ones, really good ones. This is what he brought before the Lord. And then we're also told that he brought the firstborn of his flock. And the firstborn, by bringing the firstborn, this becomes a big deal later on in Scripture, and we'll talk more about this a, bit, uh, a little bit later, is that when you bring the first, it's actually an exercise of trust that there will be more. So instead of waiting to like, okay, I've got enough to get me through, now I'll give God something. Giving the first is a, is a trust thing. And so not only does Abel bring the better, but he also, clearly his heart is in a, in a spot of trusting the Lord to provide. And so God, when he looks at this, he, he shows favor. He's very happy with what he sees from Abel, but not with Cain so much. And so then we're told that Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the word angry, it literally means to grow warm. And I just love the images in God's word because who, who can't relate to that? When you start getting upset about something and then like next thing you know, your ears are a bit red, you know, and your face starts to turn and you can feel it in, the, in your neck a bit and you're going to just, and what do we say? Like someone's fuming, right? Or like the cartoons are like smoke coming out of their ears or whatever, right? Like we get this, that there's this like heat going on. And it's a, it's a warmth, it's a heat, it's an anger that in many contexts describes actually specifically like the anger of jealousy, like it's used there, but also it's used in a variety of different ways where there is this passionate, fuming anger. So Cain is very angry. In this context, it appears that there's like a level of jealousy, but also sadness. We're told that his face is downcast. He sees this, he's like, he's angry, sad. And maybe you can think of a time too where you've been angry, sad. Angry at someone, just fuming over what's happened. But also just like, just so down about it too. So it's here, heated up, fuming, but also down, that we get to ask this question, who's driving for Cain? Who's driving in his life? God comes to him, actually, and speaks to Cain. And, and what a privilege to have God come and speak to him, but 
Perhaps it's because God knows what's the direction that Cain's life is going. Spoiler, if you don't know the story, Cain is so angry that he actually ends up killing his brother. So this conversation with, with, with Cain is like an attempted inter, intervention, if you will. Not that God couldn't have prevented it, but that God also gives people the free will. He doesn't just control people. You have choice. So he does come and he has this conversation here looking to, to redirect Cain. And he asks the question, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? The way it's worded in our English translation, I think is a bit unfortunate because it kind of comes across like this is something you need to, like if you do this thing for God, then God will put a stamp of approval and then it would be okay. Like almost like something you earn from God. In the original language, the tone is a bit different and the words are really a bit different. So where it says, if you do what is right, the word is really good. And that's kind of helpful for us, but this is also a word that means beautiful or healthy. It's actually the word that when God looks at the world and he creates it initially and it's flawless and everything, he says, he says, it, he looked at everything and it was good. It's that word. So if you do something that's good, that's beneficial, that's healthy, then he goes on to say, then actually the word just says to lift up. So in other words, if you just do the, if you do the good, helpful thing, you know what happens? Instead of being downcast, you're, you can look up. You can look at God, know things are good. You can, things are going to look up for you if you just do the good thing, which is actually, it's very logical, right? If you do something that's good for you in your life, things are going to look up for you. So just do the good thing, which is interesting too here to just kind of note that who is Cain so angry at? Who is he so angry at? Abel, right? But then God comes and doesn't say a word about Abel. Who does he talk about? Cain, if you do what is good, how often do we get so angry or think more about other people or circumstances around us or things happening around us. And if God were to come to us, would he just say, but what about you? Where are you in this? Where's, how, how are things for you? It's just so interesting. God doesn't say a word about, you know, well, Abel did this. He's, if you do what's good, won't things look up? So as you think about this question, who's driving? Start just noting that is, this question is, is really a question of, am I driving? Or how are things going within me? Rather than how are things going with that person or that situation out there? Where am I at when it comes with God? All right. So God goes on to say, but if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, I've got the picture of the dartboard up here because just to give the reminder of what sin is, is that sin is literally missing the mark. But missing the mark of what? This is really important. Because sometimes it seems like sin is just missing the mark like I missed an answer on a test. But miss, sin is missing the mark of how God designed us to live. That's why it's destructive. That's why it leads to death. Because if you go against your design for life, you go 
towards death. So sin, which is really missing the mark of your design for life, sin, this destructive thing that is looking then to lead you down a destructive, death-filled path. It says it is crouching at your door. Now, I have, this is a picture. This is our, our dog, Sibley, here. Um, and uh, you can kind of tell. This is, I took this this week as I was out having my, my morning coffee and devotion time on the deck. And, um, and she's crouched down here. And the idea with this word is actually it's of an animal or being down kind of on all fours, laying flat. Laying flat to do what Sibley likes to do in our backyard. She likes to do this. Go, squirrel, go! <laughs> now, that was not one of her more impressive runs in the backyard, honestly. I think she was thrown off her game because I tried to move to get a better angle. But our dog is fast, and she catches squirrels. Like, she, she's actually very good at catching them, and she does this, like, stock walk, right? And the thing is, though, and you can hear me at the end, like, go, squirrel, go, because whenever she catches them, it's not instant, and so they end up biting her back. And then we got to get antibiotics, and then we got to do all these things, and I'm just like, well, I don't mind her chasing them to kind of get them out, like, don't actually catch them, and sometimes she does. Um, She's really, and she's like 11 years old. She's very impressive. Um, anyway, this is the idea with this word. Is that sin is like, you know how she was like crouched down? And how she kind of like can do this like little creeper walk and then take off? Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. It's just laying there. It's laying there and it wants you. Our translation says it desires you. In the word in the original language, it actually describes, and it's the root of it is, is the idea of extending. So it's like you have a desire, like there's a longing in you, which is even if you think about our English word, that's kind of, it's kind of the same idea, isn't it? Like something is long, right? It's extended. There's something in you where you are longing, like yearning, wanting this. Sin, so missing the mark of your design for life. Sin, which leads to death is right there in its pose, wanting you. It wants mastery over you. Which sometimes, I don't know if we give that enough credit. Like, it's not just that we, we commit sins, but there really is a power that wants us. And that's part of why we had the, the one gospel lesson we had from Luke chapter 22 today, where when Jesus is speaking to the disciples the night he's betrayed, and he's speaking to Simon Peter, Notice again, what does he say about what's about to happen where Simon ends up denying him? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Isn't that a strange concept? And doesn't it ever, like, I, sometimes I like to think in my life, what moments in my life have been the result of Satan asking to sift me? Isn't that a weird thing to think about? But if it happened with Simon Peter, who knows how many times this happened where one of the, where the Satan or demons were like, I want to, I want to work on them. And then the implication here is that God says, okay, I guess that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down, but not necessarily today. But just to realize that there is a power that wants you. So who's driving in your life? 
Because there is a power that wants to get a hold of you. And then sin is missing the mark of, your, of the life you're meant to live, right? So sin, if it's that power, if that power is sin, then that power wants to drive you away from life. There's a power in this world that wants to drive you in the direction of brokenness, of hurt, of pain, of ultimately of death. Who's driving? Now, God, when he speaks to Cain, he says, you must master it. You must master what's going on here. Now, if you're like me and look at this, like, I realize that there are many times where I have allowed sin to drive in my life, where I have allowed different things to, to lead me in a negative direction. So how do I get back on the right path? How do I go the direction that God really has for me? How do you? Well, we had our lesson here from Romans chapter 6, and we had that lesson because something we studied a few weeks ago in Easter says, sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So God through Paul tells us right there that this thing that wants to master you, sin, it will not be your master anymore because of Jesus, because of God's grace. And grace, the word grace is such a beautiful word that's worth reminding ourselves what it means. It literally means to delight in someone, to have, to show favor to someone so that you end up giving them a gift. It's just like when you think about someone in your life who you care for, you love, you think about it. Why do you throw a birthday party for your kids? You know, like, you don't have to, right? Like, you want to give them a party and shower them with gifts and love, and it's just it's something you do because you delight in them. This is, the, this is what grace is. And we are under God's grace, his favor. So much so that he's given us the ultimate gift of sending his son, Jesus. Jesus came into the world to be God's grace. He is God the son, God's grace in action. He lived the life you were meant to live and that you and I were meant to live, but don't. He died the death that comes as a result of sin, paid for it, absorbed it so he could give hope and life beyond it. He rose again to give us new life, life that is on the path to eternal life. And last week in Pentecost, we celebrated the, the, the comfort of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now gives us this new life, fills us with this new life. So we can now walk by faith today and in this life and on into eternal life. God's grace puts us back on the right path. God's grace puts us in the direction of eternity, puts us in the direction of real life. God's grace, his delight, his favor. Now something that's interesting about the fact that grace has to do with, with showing delight or favor is what were we told what were we told in this situation with Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Cain and Abel? How did God look at Cain's, or excuse me, Abel's offering? He had favor towards it. He showed favor towards Abel's offering. Let's think a bit about why. What was it about Abel's offering? where Abel received God's favor. Sometimes we can get the concept of offerings to God to get it wrong. 
And we can kind of act like or get the idea that God needs us to give him something. But if you look through scripture, it's clear again and again that God doesn't need anything from us. Here's a great example, Psalm 58. I just love the way that God puts this. He says, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. But he goes on to say, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Isn't that interesting? Like God is, when he's sitting there, like when, when Cain brings this, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm hungry. Good, glad you brought me lunch. It's not how this works. God doesn't need a thing when it comes to offerings. So what's the point of them? If God doesn't need these things from you. It says, sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Offerings are about where are our heart at when it comes to God. And the first thing that's underlined here, what does it say? Thank offerings. When you're thankful for something, you recognize where it comes from. Who gives you everything? That's part of the offering when, when they give it back there. And even when we do offerings today, is, is part of the reason why those are significant is for us, it's not just to help the church function and so on. It's to remember who gives us what we have. It's from him. It's his. We can give him, we're just giving him back what really is already his anyway. So he's just stewarded us to have. The other thing, and this verse talks about calling upon him in a day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. That's an expression of trust, right? Trust me. Remember how I mentioned the first fruit aspect of, of Abel's? Like this is the firstborn? When you give the first thing rather than waiting till you have all of it, you are trusting that God's going to provide the rest. That's part of why it's important, like, again, like when we do offerings and things, and when we think about those, that's why it's good to designate, like, I'm going to give this because I'm trusting God to provide this. You know, that, that's, it's, an, it's an exercise of trust. And God doesn't say you have to give so much or anything like that. That's not the point. That's not what it, he doesn't need it. The point is it's an exercise, and I'm going to trust the Lord to provide. So realizing that's how offerings work, how do we now think about Cain and Abel? Abel showed with his offering that he recognized that it was from the Lord and he showed levels of trust. It's not so much that, that Abel earned God's favor. It's not like that, but more so that he received the favor of God, the gift of God. All of this is a gift from God. All, everything I have. And because it's a gift from God, I can trust that God's going to continue to provide everything I need. There was something going on in his heart where he was receiving the favor of God. And then that transforms a person. Cain, by his, it seems more like he just did what he thought he needed to do for God. This is the thing I do to check off. I've got to bring an offering. His heart doesn't seem to really got how we relate with God. But when your heart receives the favor of God, the delight of God, your life then changes. God's grace changes your heart. It changes the direction of where you're going. And it then begins to drive. This question, who's driving? The answer that we want is not, okay, to have sin driving, obviously. But it's not just that, that now I'm just going to drive. 
It's that now my heart is receiving God's grace and favor, and now he drives my life. When you receive the grace and favor of God, he directs where you're going. In your worship folder, and this is your time, and maybe you've been taking notes so far, and that's wonderful, but if you haven't yet, this is really a time to get your, get your worship folder out. You'll see uh, this little wheel here, more like a sailboat um, steering wheel here. And I have this here for us to really think about, okay, so how does this practically play out? How do I go in the direction that God wants me to go in my life? How do I go in a, in a direction of life? I thought about trying to make the little things come off of here, but I'm not that artistic, and even my circle is not exactly even. So bear with me here. But I have a little steering wheel here. How do I, when going through life, go the direction I want to go? Or when I, how do I recognize that I have veered off and I'm driving towards Iowa and I don't want to be there? And if I have realized it, how do I get back on the right path? How do, how do I go? That's what we're going to look at right now. First of all, recognize this. And in your worship folder in the center of that wheel, I encourage you to draw a heart. The first thing that's at the center is it has to do with the heart. The heart is the center, and it directs where your life goes. What's going on in the heart? Okay? But I was thinking about what are some things that, that steer your heart in the wrong direction? I've got a few things up here. These are not, it's not, ex, not an exhaustive list, but some things for us to think about. When things start happening and you start developing in your life that you become very me-focused, it can lead you down the wrong path. Which is interesting, and you might say, well, but Pastor, didn't you just say that Cain's issue was that he was concerned about, about he was upset with Abel? And it's, and it's true, but part of what leads to what being upset about Abel was because he thought his offering was about what he needed to do for God. He got upset with others because first he was focused on himself. It's interesting how that works. The, the more you focus on yourself, the less able you are to see other people correctly. So first, when you get me focused, if you sense that, if you sense some me focus, like, okay, that's something that needs correcting. I don't want that driving my life. The next thing, I deserve. So with Cain, like, he brought the offering, right? Like, I did what I was supposed to do. So I deserve favor too, right? That mentality can lead us off the wrong direction. I want you to think about any way where maybe you feel like, okay, I deserve something in my life. Maybe like in your job, have you ever had a job where you see that you recognize that maybe you are more qualified than somebody else and yet they get the job and you don't? Or they get the promotion and you don't? And then next thing you know, bitterness and anger start building up inside of you. Or maybe, you know, they're getting the credit for something and you really, you did all the back work. Or maybe you have a relationship and you've been working so hard to show love to someone. Or maybe you are doing that, that, that thing where, where you know, like the loving thing is not to say yes to somebody all the time. But yet you have, they have somebody in their life who always just gives them what they want. And so they're the favorite when you're the one who's really doing the hard thing. Next thing you know, bitterness starts driving. Anger starts driving because 
Well, I deserve to be acknowledged. I deserve them to receive my love. I deserve for them to look and go, look, thank you, not that person. As those first two go, they can lead, what? To jealousy? When you look at someone like, gosh, why? Like, they're just so, like, the relationship one, for instance. They're so happy with them. They have such a fun time with them. I wish, I wish when we spent together, I didn't have to take care of the discipline because they're off having fun. Or that person, they get the promotion and I don't. Like, these things, this can really brew so much in your life. Or even just, social media is really bad for this too, by the way. You look online and like, everybody, like, they look so happy. Like in their pictures, like they're on vacation and they're in like Hawaii. We can only go to the Dells. Come on. The Dells are great. Don't get me wrong. But I, right? You can have the comparison. Or like their family looks so happy. Or they're, you know, like their family, like they've got the kids and we're struggling. And I mean, just there's so many things. And you can start getting jealous. This last one, I'm going to explain just a bit. The my vision thing. And I thought about... I thought about putting down there actually a victim mentality, but I was, I don't know if that quite, I want, and when I say that, I want to be careful. Is there are things that happen in life to us where we are, someone really is a victim of something bad happening. But sometimes we can develop a mentality where everything that goes on in life is something happening to me, right? Like I'm just restricted by the people around me and my life can't get any better because I just have the people around me are not what I want them to be. I can't get any better because this is, like, my life can't improve because this happened to me. I'm sick. I have bad health. I can't, can't improve. My job is here. I can't improve. I can't. And then we, you can develop a, a really bitter, negative attitude when your life is defined, defined by all these things that you see and all the limits that you place on yourself. There's a lot of really negative people when it's just like, ugh. Like, my life is garbage. Maybe people don't use, they like to use those words, but you know how often, how easy it is to complain and just be kind of feel stuck. Now, we're pointing out all these negative things so that when we're going down the road and life is feeling whatever and I'm feeling grumpy and I'm feeling, feeling that pull in a direction that's destructive that we can realize we are on the wrong path. And so these things need to be laid before the cross, which, by the way, I don't know if you realize, notice there's a cross in my steering wheel, right? Here we are. You can lay before the cross of Jesus, know that he paid for them, that sin will not be your master. And then now you can start thinking about how grace, his favor, can steer you in the other direction. All right, so first of all, how does it steer you in another direction? What takes the other way? God-focused. Remember with Abel, his offering is receiving it from God. When, you, when, you are wanted, when your life is going the other direction, it's, it's, not, it's not so much about you anymore, but okay, God, what are you doing? This is your life. This is your world. This is your plan. Like, what, that's, what do you got? Your life goes in a better direction when your eyes come off of yourself and onto God. And first of all, also, by the way, a reminder, you can cross off the other ones because you're not going that way anymore. Your life moves in such a better direction when you realize that you are under God's grace that he delights in you, that he is showing favor to you. It's, it's, so, it's so helpful in so many ways because then it's less of like your mentality is not about, okay, well, I deserve this. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. 
So it takes your whole shift off of, well, I deserve this. Well, actually, all the, the best things in your life don't come because you deserve them. They come because they're a gift. Also, the fact that you have these things because of God's grace, his favor, means that even though, doesn't, even if that other person is not appreciating you, God delights in you. That person may not be recognizing you, so what? The God of all creation is just pumped about you. And you are carrying out his plan and his purpose in your life. So whatever, you might not be doing what you were, your goal was there, but God's goals are not sidetracked. Instead of being jealous, this is where you can find what is, as Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Your life can go in a better direction when you have contentment. Like, okay, God's going to give me what he wants to give me. He delights in me. Instead of having a life that is restricted by your vision, you can have a life that is empowered by God's vision. Think God looks at you and says, you know, you're right. The people in your life make it so that I can't carry out my plan for you. You know, ugh, you're so, you know, you're stuck right then. I know it's a bummer. And don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not denying that there are hard things in your life, but don't limit what God can do right where you are with whatever limitations you have. I mean, Paul wrote most of the Bible from prison, you know? I mean, God can take wherever and he, don't limit him. So when your life is God's vision, it goes in such a better direction. You're such, you can be so free from the bitterness and anger when you're looking to God, when you're under his grace, when you're knowing you're favored by him, when you're experiencing contentment by him, when you're looking at it all from his vision. When you're under those things, the direction of your life is leading, leading not, not to death, but to more and more life. And we're going to get caught up and we're going to get caught up by the enemy. The enemy is going to still be there. Be there. The sinful one is trying to pull us off the wrong direction. But whenever it does, lay it at the cross and look to God to work in your heart to drive you away from death unto life. Ask yourself this question this week, especially if you feel yourself warming up or your face being downcast. Who's driving?